Welcome to Lakewood Sermon Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 online at lakewoodok.com live. Or we'd also love to see you in person at our campus in McAllister. Good morning. Welcome. Man, I, there are some weeks where uh, I get to write a sermon, and it's one of those that, uh, and it's kind of, it's a difficult process uh, where you're, you're trying uh, to really get at what God is trying to say through Scripture. And then there are some weeks where it just seems like God is speaking so much that it's like you're drinking from a fire hose. And uh, honestly, that's kind of the week that I've had this week of just going through this passage that we're going to be reading today. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that we get to study this today. But before we do that, I got to tell you, um, on September 25th of 2019, I was able to stand on this stage, and a man that I consider a spiritual giant handed me this baton. Uh, it was the day that Cliff stepped down and that I stepped into the position of lead pastor here at Lakewood. Um, that, was, that was a humbling day. There's a lot, because, I mean, something that I got, to, from my perspective, I got to see uh, this baton being passed from Cliff to all of our elders, to every person in our church, uh, everyone uh, praying over me as, as it went through, praying over the process, praying over the church. And then I ended up on stage, and it was then put into my hands. And I got to tell you, in that moment, there was, there was 18 months that worked up to that moment. Um, it was 18 months of praying through the, this, the transition, everything, of watching Cliff, of asking questions, of making plans. And so whenever I accepted this from Cliff and our elders in the church, two emotions really came to me. Uh, the first was fear. Uh, not of the position, I was terrified that I was going to drop this. Can you imagine that in the day? One of those things, like they hand it to me, and Cliff had just done this great job of talking about how, like, he's handing off the baton, and this is, you know, all this, all, what this symbolizes, and then if I just get up there, and the first thing I do is just drop it, like, guys, it's been great serving as your lead pastor, I guess I'm gone now, <laughs> and just walk out the thing. But no, I mean, and there was definitely an amount of fear of just what was to come as well. But the second emotion that I had um, was surprise at the weight of this once it was put in my hands. Um, I mean, this is, this is aluminum. It, it doesn't weigh a thing, but there was a symbolic weight that came with it. Uh, and it wasn't a weight that was a hindrance. It was almost like the weight of a child when someone puts it in your arms where you realize you're holding something very precious and you're holding something that's valuable and that's, has, that's quality. Um, and really, uh, it is precious. Not just to me, not just to Cliff, not just to our elders, not just to the church, but to God. And so that's the thing, that this was the symbol of the ministry that was being passed from one to another. And the reason that I bring it up today is this, because today, out of the entire book of 2 Timothy, we have finally come to the point where Paul is officially passing the baton to Timothy for his ministry in this world. Um, this is the text that we've been studying for the past uh, three or four weeks, uh, but specifically in today, we get to see Paul take his ministry, the baton of his ministry, and pass it off to Timothy. These are Paul's final words, not just in t Second Timothy. These are some of Paul's final words in his life. His life's coming to an end. And it's not because he's getting old. It's because he's about to have his head cut off. Literally, I mean, he's, he's about to be beheaded by Rome. 
And so he takes this mantle of leadership that was given to him personally by Jesus. This mantle of the stewardship of the word of God, and he passes it to Timothy, passing as well the weight from one to another so that Timothy can continue the journey. Because really, it's, it's about that. And as Paul does this with Timothy, he's going to give him two very solemn charges. Or he's going to give him some solemn charges, not two, some solemn charges. And so today, as we dive into this, I want to invite you, we're going to stop for just a second. And I want to invite you, uh, we're not going to have these up on the screen. Uh, it's just going to be your opportunity to listen and hear the words of Paul to Timothy that we're going to be studying today. So let's take a moment and just hear the words of Paul. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths but as for you always be sober-minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, <laughs> thank you for your word. Father, I ask that today that you would speak and that we would hear you. Holy Spirit, I ask that, because we have so many different people here uh, watching online, Father, that I, I ask that you would speak to your people today. That you would implant your word into their hearts and that we would begin to do some battle with uh, what you've called us to. Father, we ask that you would transform us. And we ask these things in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to unpack eight verses today. And we're going to try to get as much from these eight verses as possible. Before we can really dive into that, we've got to start by saying this. I need you to notice the fours. Okay? Not the numbers. F-O-R. Notice the fours, because in Scripture, or really anywhere in life, whenever uh, the word four comes up, what it's really saying is this, I'm giving you the de further description of what I just said. Like, I'm on crutches, for I broke my leg. <laughs> it gives more of a description of what was just said. And so every time we hear four, understand that Paul is giving Timothy a charge, and then he's telling him why. So we're going to dive into this uh, now together. Um, let's drink Let's dive in. Let's drink deep. We're going to be starting in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is familiar wording. 
Back in chapter uh, 2, Paul tells Timothy to give a people a charge before God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but notice that this is a lot different than that. Because before, Paul said, hey, I, charge, or, I tell you to charge them before God to do this, right? But now what Paul has said is he looks to Timothy and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. What he says is this, Timothy, I charge you in the name of God in the name of Jesus, who will come and judge. Can you imagine getting weightier than that? I don't, I mean, that's what I'm going to do every time we hire a babysitter now, though. She's going to come over, he's going to come over, and be like, all right, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus, who's going to judge you for what you do here, take care of my children. Like, you understand, like, there's, there's a weightiness that comes to that, right? There's something that just, you know, like, okay, this isn't just me saying, hey, can you do this? Or I'm, Paul's not looking at Timothy saying, hey, Timothy, it'd be so cool if you could just do this for me real quick. It's a really quick favor. No, what he does is he says this, hey, Timothy, I charge you in front of God and Christ Jesus who will judge you. That's weighty. And then we, like Timothy, should lean into that. We should do our best to get what Paul's driving at here. Because while this is a charge for Timothy, really what it is is a charge to the entire church for how we treat the gospel. The gospel that says that even with the worst of who we are as people, the darkest things about ourselves, that even in that, we are loved. Through the Bible, we can see, um, through the study of Scripture, we can see that the only way to really be able to enter heaven is to be perfect. But we also see that God's going to punish every single sin, and that's kind of discouraging. But God, having created us, knowing our failures, knowing our tendencies, he did something uh, unimaginable. God came into the world as one of us. He lived a perfect life from day one that we cannot be, we would not and could not be able to live. And he didn't do that to say, see guys, I told you it's possible, try harder. That's not why Jesus did that. God came to the world as a human and now he lived a perfect life doing what we couldn't do. And then not only did he do what we couldn't do in his life, he did what we wouldn't do in his death knowing that all the sin had to be punished, knowing that his people were sinful and wouldn't be able to stand up under that punishment, God allowed himself to be beaten and placed on a cross to be executed, and that wasn't even the worst of it. The worst of it came when the punishment for sin of the entire world, meaning the entire wrath of God, was laid on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, and that is when he screamed with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the full wrath of God, and because of this, we can know the, true, the truth of the gospel. And one of the best ways I've ever heard it said is by Timothy Keller. He says that we are more deeply flawed and sinful than we would ever dare fear, but we are more loved and forgiven than we would ever dare hope. What do you do with that kind of love? What do you do 
with that kind of generosity? How do you even begin to respond to that? And so Paul charges Timothy and really the church on how we're supposed to respond to the message that God has given us. And we see it in Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the very beginning of verse 2. Preach the word. So what's our response to the gospel? Preach the word. What's our response? We give it away. Or to quote the lyricist Oscar Hammerstein, who alongside Richard Rogers wrote the play Oklahoma, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love until you give it away. The love of Christ that is poured out on us, our reaction to that, our only proper reaction to that, our appropriate response for the experience of love and forgiveness of God is to tell people about it. To not hide it away, to not be embarrassed by it or ashamed by it, but to share the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in front of God and Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. Now, as we hear the word preach, you might think of what we're doing right now. Um, or maybe our minds just go to what's happening right now. Uh, I'm at this very moment, I'm preaching a sermon to you right now. I hope that didn't come as a surprise when I said it, uh, but right now you're listening to some preaching. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, and our minds can go to this, but while the sermon really is fitting in this, because that's what this is, this is a prepared study of Scripture that is being preached to you. But really the word preach does not have an exclusive connection to stages and pulpits. The word in Greek is called keruso. That one's an easier one. Everyone say it. Say keruso. Right there. It means to proclaim. And so what Paul is saying is that we need to be ready in season and out of season. And I love that in season and out of season because what Paul really says is this. It doesn't matter if it's an opportune time or not. He says, be ready at all times, in season and out of season, whether we judge the time right or not. We need to be constantly ready and eager to proclaim the love that has saved us, to share our stories, to proclaim the gospel. And that may be intimidating to think about as you sit there today, the idea of in your life being ready at any given point, uh, at any given point of your life, the most, I don't know why, but my mind immediately goes to like, you know, whenever you go to like a basketball game or something and you're in that really long line waiting for the bathrooms, like, so have you heard about Jesus? You know, like that thing, but being ready at any point in your life to proclaim the gospel that has been given to you. And maybe you don't think you're ready for that. Maybe you don't think that you know enough about scripture, but let me tell you three things really quick before we move forward in that. The first is this. We don't proclaim the word of God in single conversations. We do it through relationships. And some relationships start with the proclamation of the word of God. So you don't have to get everything right in one shot. It's a relationship. The second thing is this, that the Holy Spirit can do more through someone who is afraid but willing than someone who is afraid and walks away. And the third thing is this, that the knowledge and the understanding of Scripture is one of the reasons why God gave us the church. 
Now, while proclaiming is not something that happens exclusively on Sundays, it is something that does happen on Sundays. I get to do it right now. And really, the goal of the sermon, much like the goal of Paul here, is to pass the baton. That's really my prayer as we approach Sunday mornings. I want to take the baton of Scripture and pass it on to you. To pass on the burden of taking and proclaiming that to the world. Because the hearing of the Word of God comes with a burden to then share it. And my prayer is that you feel the burden of the gospel every single time we do this. That you feel the burden to take what God is stirring up inside of you and what God has done in you to take that out in the world and do something with it. (coughs) Excuse me. And really that you take those words and that you share them, that you apply them and then you share them. And not necessarily even my words, but the words of Scripture. And then one sermon on a Sunday, if we were to do that, one sermon on a Sunday could be taken and shared with people that you know and people that you know and people that you know. And then we would see the gospel being proclaimed far beyond just the pulpit of Liquid Christian Church. And so one of the tools of being able to proclaim the gospel well is to listen to it often. And so that leads us to the first point of the day, which is this. Well, well, the first point of the day, I'm sorry I didn't come up on that, but uh, if, you're, if you're keeping track in your notes, the first point is that we need to be hearers and proclaimers of the gospel. We need to hear the gospel well. We need to hear the gospel often. I hope that I'm not the only preacher that you ever listen to. We need to hear the gospel often, but then when we hear the gospel, we then take it upon ourselves to take the burden to then proclaim that gospel to those in our lives, to be ready in and out of season to be preachers, to be proclaimers of God's word, to be those that give away the love of Jesus that has so richly touched our lives. And so then Paul continues. In, uh, in verse, ooh, okay, that's why, sorry. There it is, here's the proclaimers of the gospel. Now, sorry, Paul continues, though, in verses three and four. He says this, four. Now, we're gonna stop again right there, four. That's the first four. So Paul has already told us that you need to be proclaimers of the gospel. I love it. He says, I charge you in the presence of God to be a proclaimer of the gospel. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then he says, for, which means this. You need to be ready to do this because this. And here's the because. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul says, I charge you before God and Christ Jesus to proclaim the word. And then he says, why is that important? Because there's going to come a time when people will not endure sound teaching. And they will listen to only what they want to hear. It's nice to know that in Timothy's time they struggle with this too, right? Of people just listening and hearing only what they want to hear. Sometimes people ignoring parts of Scripture in favors of other ones and kind of building their life and their faith around something that maybe isn't really the truest picture of God. And it's really easy for us to look around and see that at work in our culture right now. 
And we can see that in the lives of people across the board. Like, oh, they, they do not, they're just ignoring pieces of scripture. And we can, we can do that. But before I can do that, really, I have to stop and I have to take a hard look at myself. Because the truth is, I see that tendency buried in my heart as well. And the way that I can sometimes look at someone else's sins harsher than mine because I don't struggle with that one. Or maybe when I downplay others' sin because they're common and everyone struggles with that. Many of us have a tendency to pick and choose on some level with Scripture. And what God calls us to, what Paul calls us to here, is to be consumers of the entirety of Scripture. To take everything that God says, not just the stuff that we're comfortable with. Many of us uh, really need to do this, including myself. Paul wasn't surprised by this, though. He wasn't surprised that people would only be going after the things that they were comfortable with. He wasn't surprised at the human condition. But that is why he gave such a solemn call to take Scripture as a whole tool for encouragement and rebuke, for growth and pruning. Because there's a lot of encouragement in Scripture, but there's also a lot of challenge. And if we ignore the encouragement in favor of the challenging and developing parts of Scripture, we miss the grace and relationship. But if we ignore the encouragement and just focus on the, the development and the challenging pieces of Scripture, we, we miss the grace. It's an entire picture that we're called to embrace. It's the opportunity for us to be molded and formed into who God is calling us to be. In 1495, a sculptor named Michelangelo, most people haven't heard of him, um, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, most, there's a sculpture, uh, or a sculptor named Michelangelo. He sculpted this uh, picture right here, or this statue right here. This is an angel. It should be coming up on the center screen too, hopefully. Nope, okay. Um, well, this is an angel. I'll turn it this way for, for you guys over there. There you go. Everyone got to see it? Okay, good deal. <laughs> All right, sorry about that. Um, it's called the kneeling angel. And whenever he was talking about it, he said this, and I loved it. He said, every block of stone has a statue inside it. And it's the task of the sculpture or the sculptor to discover it. I saw an angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. That's what he had to say about this. Every stone has a, sculpture, or has a statue inside it, and it's up to the sculptor to release it. And the sculptor is the one who sees what the stone could and should be. And we have a father who loves us exactly as we are, but sees in us who we could and should be. But here's the thing. Chiseling hurts. For God to come in and say, you're the stone, but I have something I want to turn you into. And he takes his chisel to you. That is a painful experience where you say goodbye and see pieces of yourself fall off that you kind of like, that you're going to miss. It's a potentially painful process. And so we should really, what Paul's saying through all this is that we should long not for the cheap and easy gospel that offends no one because the gospel is offensive. The gospel says that you're not enough. The gospel says that you can't do it on your own. That's an offensive thing, especially in our culture, to say that you are not enough. You are not good enough. And that's what the gospel tells us. It's offensive. 
It's a hard pill to swallow. And the true gospel of Jesus is not clean and unforgiving. Never forget that our gospel, our grace, our forgiveness, our eternity was written through blood and dirt and sweat and death. It's a gospel that doesn't placate us where we are, but it pushes us to be more, more humble, more self-sacrificing, more giving. And this is the gospel that says, We don't even do these things to save our souls. We do these things because our souls have been saved already. Which means that we can work on becoming less so that Jesus would increase in our lives. And to do that, we place ourselves under the chisel of the word, which is painful. But it's the pain of discovery and purpose. It's the pain that's only bearable because we see what God's actually turning us into. The pain that allows us to put our old selves to death in favor of new life because we want to be what God has created us to be more than we want to be anything else that we could be in this world. We want to be who God has created us to be. And when we open scripture, we should be saying to God, Father, please use this to shape me into who you have created me to be. Shape me into a form that is ready to do the work for which you have crafted me. That's why Psalm 139 is such a great verse for talking about this. David's talking to God, and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Out of, this is one of those things to where David comes to God and says, God, I want you to chisel me. I want you to shape me. And that's the call of every Christian as we approach Scripture, is God, please use your word to shape me. Please use your word to, to really carve into those parts that I really struggle to let go of and turn me into who you've created me to be. And it's not because I want to do this because I want to get to heaven. It's because I'm going to heaven. I've experienced your grace and I want to look like you. I'm so tired of this looking like me all the time. I want my life to be more than just me. I want my life to smell of your kingdom. You know, out of all the pieces of marble in the world, That one block was the one that Michelangelo chose to make into the angel. And out of all the people in the world, past, present, and future, you are the one that God has gifted and placed at this point in your life right here. So the question that we have right now in the service is this. Will you relent to the sculptor? Will you say, search me, O God, and test and know my heart? Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me on the path everlasting. Will you come to God and say, God, you are the sculptor and I am the marble. Please sculpt me into what you would have me be. Do we want to be what God has created us to be or do we want to be only what we can chisel out for ourselves? So the next point of the day is this. Hand over the chisel. So as you're going down the road this week or as you're opening up scripture or anything like that, you see anybody from Lakewood, you just look up and be like, hey, you're handing over the chisel? Just have that moment of just coming through like, hey, we need to remind ourselves of these things. Hey, are you handing over the chisel? Because we need to allow the God, word of God to do its entire work within us, not just the work that we're comfortable with. The entire work. 
And if we hand over that chisel, what we're saying is, God, I don't want control over this. I want you to have control of this. And I want to be who you've created me to be. And as the whole of Scripture transforms us, we continue to proclaim the whole message with its encouragements and challenges to those who need it. Not just the message that they want to hear, but the message that they need to hear. And a lot of times our first audience is us. Because we need to understand the whole story and be ready to be proclaimers of that story. And then in verse 5, Paul gives us our next four. He says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then what do we have? Okay, a couple of you got it. Let's start again. What do we have? Four. I didn't really prep you for that, so that's not your fault, but good job. All right, four. So he says, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work out of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. And then he says, why? Because I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So this is where Paul talks to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, do these things. Why? Because I'm done. I'm already being poured out. The time of my departure has come. I'm about to be executed, which means that you have to be the one that carries the torch. This is Paul handing off the baton, which is the ministry of the word of God. And Paul is saying, I'm done. I've finished my portion of the race, and now it's your turn. And like the baton of a race or the torch in the Olympics, it's meant to be carried for a time and then passed on to another. One of Andy Stanley's quotes that I love in this reflect too is the idea of, he says, one of the most important things you may do for, your, for the kingdom of God may not be in something that you do, but in someone that you raise. And a lot of times when we pass that torch, it's passing it to our kids. Passing the torch of faith. Sometimes when we pass that torch of faith, it's passing it to our coworkers, our friends, our family. That's kind of one of the reasons why I like watching the Olympics. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love that once every four years, depending if there's a, you know, a pandemic or not, uh, we get to uh, watch sports that we really didn't care about up to that point, but now we intensely care about them. Um, man, I got to tell you, watching like the gymnast routines or the ice skating stuff, you know, it's one of those things like, I don't use the word triple lutz a lot in my life, but now whenever that comes, I'm just like, oh, she's going to go for the triple. She landed it. You know, it's one of those things where we really care. But one of my favorite parts of the Olympics is actually what builds up to it. They have this torch that they carry, and they have people that run all around the world towards this thing, and it's this torch that stays lit. But the thing about this is this. A lot of people carry the torch. A lot of people carry the flame, but it really doesn't have very much to do with the runners, does it? It's about the flame. That's, that's such a, a great thing because really the important thing the focal point is the flame it gets passed from one to the next to the next and the same is true with the flame of the gospel it's handed over and off from generation to generation from person to person and the thing about this is as we read this point where Paul has passed on the baton to Timothy we need to understand something Paul is telling Timothy hey Timothy I'm being poured out like a drink offering my time of departure has come it's your turn and what we read from that is this That Timothy took that and he worked it and then he passed it on. And then who he passed it off to passed it on. And it kept going and going and going. And now we know this. It's your turn. It's our turn. 
of the people in the world, we are the ones right now that have the torch and the flame of the gospel, the burden of the gospel that is now on our lives. So the next point of the day is this. Take up the torch. So give over the chisel. Take up the torch. It's your turn. But then whenever we do that, when we give over the chisel, when we take up our torch, then we too hopefully one day can say, like Paul, I really hope I can one day say this because this is so bold of Paul. But in verses four, seven, or chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So proclaim the word, hand over the chisel, take up the torch. And then what's the next thing we can do? Expect the crown. We are in this world for a relatively short time. We talked about this a little bit last week where we said, guys, the time is short. Whether Jesus comes back in a thousand years or today, our time is short because we're always one heartbeat, one breath away from the eternal. We're in this world for a short time and while we are here, we have a race to run. And so we need to be proclaimers of the word. And if I could say it this way, let me, let me just say it this way as... as for some of you, a younger brother in the faith, uh, but let me just say this with all humility. I charge you in the name of God and Jesus Christ who will come back and judge the living and the dead to proclaim the word of God. And that's the great thing about church too is because right now you are being to proclaim something and it gives you the tool to then take that and go proclaim it. I charge you to proclaim the word of God. I charge you to hand over the chisel and let God do his work in you. I charge you to take up the torch of the gospel and carry it for the full length of your part of the race. And I charge you to do all of those things with the knowledge that we are running towards something. We're not running in circles. We're running towards something. We have a destination in mind and that destination should shape our perspective. Because one day we're going to reach the end of the race and we're going to exchange our torch, our call, for a crown. And then we get to take that crown and we get to place it at the feet of Jesus because we are finally home. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, I ask that you would uh, continue to speak to us, that you would continue uh, to work in us, that you would mold us and shape us into your uh, likeness, Father. Lord, that we would be the ones that get to experience uh, what you're doing in this world. Father, I thank you that you give us your word. And Father, I ask that you would continue uh, to work in us, Holy Spirit, that you would move in us as we kind of unpack this today. And Father, I, I really I pray for your church for Lakewood, but really for your church as a whole, that we would take up the torch, that we would, uh, that we would run the race. God, I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm.